Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Plenty for Everyone. My name is Jennifer Mulholland, and as always, I'm joined with my partner, Jeff Shuck. We are your host today, calling in from beautiful Park City in beautiful Michigan City, Indiana. Not so beautiful today. It's rainy and gray and gross today, but I guess that can be beautiful too. I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Well, summer is on its way. We've kind of turned from chilly, snowy Park City to 85 degree weather, which is a nice welcome to the plants and the trees and kids get out of school next week. Your kids are already out. It's just feels like a time where we're holding on as time seems to be slipping through our fingers, but kind of ramping up for a very fast paced summer and hoping to ground through all of the activities. Yeah, this episode is actually a great intro to that idea of a fast-paced summer and a fast-paced life. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is one of the things we always talk about, which is how to slow down through it. So our guest today is a good friend of ours named Marta Brummel. Marta is a life coach who works particularly with parents and teens. And we're going to talk with her about her work helping people human is what she calls it, like helping people be more comfortable in their human journey. And she uses that phrase a lot of humaning. And it's just a great phrase. I think in the conversation, Jen, you you a couple of times mentioned that idea of how do we, it's not easy all the time. No, it's not. And it, to give ourselves permission to be messy and to, you know, make mistakes in the role of parenting and and learn from them and the highs and lows of living. I think we we often talk about in our work and with our clients, like how do we give ourselves permission to be real, to be authentic and to not have it all right, but to learn along the way. And I love how she really brings conscious parenting to raising children and in a way that is gentle. She's launching a course called, I think, Humaning 101, which is really exciting as well. So we have a juicy conversation that meanders like it always does. And I certainly took away a lot of reminders of giving myself a break um, when it feels all too much to role model and or model the way, as, as I say, to kids that need it right now um, at a really important time coming out of COVID and moving into a new level of maturity. Yeah. And one of the things we touch on that I, I love is... You know, when you're a kid, you really think your parents have it figured out. And when you become a parent, you're like, oh my God, am I the only phony? Like, what? There's no manual for this thing? You know, it's a really, really rewarding job. And it's a really, really difficult job at times. And we explore being okay with that. And that's like, that's part of the design of raising kids is that you don't always know what you're doing. And it's okay to share that with them is something we explore too, which feels really fun. So a couple of things that we mentioned in the episode, but just to just give it a little more emphasis, you can find more about Marta at her website, which is Marta Brummel, M-A-R-T-A-B-R-U-M-M-E-L, martabrummel.com. And her podcast is called Truth Be Told. And it's a good listen for those of you wrestling with these ideas of how do I how do I raise not great kids, but how do I raise great people, which is really the ultimate aim of parenting? How do we raise great humans? And we explore, you know, the fine line of enabling and codependency a bit too. So that's always a fine line of when do you create healthy boundaries for your children and our children to learn on their own so that we don't rob them the opportunity to create their own identities and learning how to overcome challenging times, et cetera. So there's a lot of nuggets in here that we think 
you'll really enjoy. We know we did and look forward to having her on again and exploring more of her work. So thanks everyone for listening. As always, if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. Please share it with people who are important to you. And without further ado, we'll bring on Marta Brummel. Hey, everyone. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode and just tell you a little bit about our October class of Lantern, which is now open for registration. It's going to be October 19th to 22nd. 2021 in Park City, our 12th session of Lantern, and it's filling up quick. And we hope you're going to be one of the people who comes. So we wanted to just take a break and tell you a tiny bit about it. It's an amazing time out to really look at yourself, look at who you are and who you want to be in this next reinvention chapter of your life. It's a three and a half day, almost all inclusive hotel and Travel is not included, but everything else is in beautiful mountains of Park City. As Jeff just mentioned, we've built out our retreat center called Heart Space to help conscious leaders like yourselves unplug and really connect in, connect with what matters to you most now, help you connect to who you really are and who you want to be authentically, like what, what you stand for, what's emerging in you, what's calling you to your next expression or next chapter in work and in life. And we have been really fortunate to attract executive leaders from all over the world that make it so vital and meaningful and really juicy over those, those several days that hopefully you'll leave connected to them for life. So We do have a few seats left, um, and we would love to meet you in person and welcome you to Park City for a transformative leadership retreat. We know it'll probably be one of the most meaningful investments you've ever made for yourself. Yeah, and just to maybe spend two more seconds talking about who it's for, if you go to our website at plentyconsulting.com slash lantern, You'll see a whole set of information and pictures about the experience, but you'll see there's a section on there where we say, is Lantern right for me? Question mark. And then we answer it with one word, yes. And we're not just being cheeky. We have had CEOs. We have had independent artists. We've had retirees. We've had people who've just graduated from college. We literally have had every career, every walk of life. And what unites the people who come is a desire to go deeper into who they really are and the desire to perform at the best, to feel as fulfilled as possible and to do it in an environment, to do that exploration in an environment of people who are supportive and engaging and fun. So wherever you are, if you've stayed long enough to listen to this ad, we know it's because you're interested in coming. We know you'd get a lot out of it. So check it out, plentyconsulting.com slash lantern. We'd love to see you in Park City in October. Yes. Sign up. We can't wait to meet you. So welcome everyone. And most of all, welcome Marta. We are so glad that you're here from your kitchen in Colorado. Thanks for joining us. I am very happy to be here, Jeff and Jen. Thank you for having me. And I do believe, as Jen mentioned, uh, that we, well, earlier as we were just commiserating on kindred spirits, I think there's a lot of very common themes and uh, I think a common um, interest and desire to go deep and far and wide on this life journey. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation today and seeing where it takes us. Well, well, I'll be honest, one of one of my hidden agendas is to just get some free advice because <laughs> as a parent Well, I offer it often, so <laughs> happy a, to happy to oblige. As a parent of four, I feel like the last year has tested that side of me in ways I never imagined. And one of the things that we mentioned to people in our introduction is a lot of your work, not all of your work, but a pretty impactful part of your work is focused on helping people like us deal with adulting and how how to deal with these beings that used to want to play Legos and play with dolls and now are arguing with us about why they, they need to stay out until one in the morning and all of that fun stuff. So 
maybe as a place to start there, it's so trite to talk about how much change we've all lived through in the last year. But I think it's also worth remembering how we've all lived through so much change. And for those of us who are parents, we've had to navigate a lot of it with other beings in our homes looking to us for guidance and also resenting that we're always underfoot. So maybe to start there, how has your work evolved or what what have you seen in the people you coach, especially the parents you coach over the last year? Has it gotten more challenging or am I... Am I just imagining that? Well, I think life in general is challenging. I think life is hard. Um, I think humaning is hard, as I like to call it. That being said, I think this year has brought front and center the struggle of accepting that we really have no control over our external world, our external circumstances, or I should say we have some control, but there's so much outside of our control. And so where is our lane? Where do we best want to kind of channel our energies, our hearts, our minds, and our beings, right, in a way that really truly serves us and helps us navigate something that has really been, I think, new for all of us. This is not something we've ever been through before. And so I think that being said, I think there's a lot of unrest I think there's a lot of unmooring that's gone on, both for the adults and the young people. And so it's funny, well, maybe not funny, but for me, it's funny when you mention your children and your four, and we have four, I'm thinking also partners, spouses. There's been a lot of shifting and kind of this sense of trying to move together, but also really respect and honor the individual process. And then How do we connect on that interpersonal level and that interdependent kind of level, but still honor our our own, you know, our own journeys? I think in my work, I see this more than ever that there's a lot of couples that are struggling because they haven't had this amount of time together. Number one. Number two, it's so much it has been thrown up for grabs. And so I think people feel this sense of fear. Fear is so strong in us anyway as humans, but I think it's just been upped and amped up to levels that we haven't really experienced. Anxiety, I think anytime we're operating from that sense of unknown to the degree we are now, I think it just, it impacts both how we feel and then how we interact and how we engage with the world and others, especially our loved ones. So I feel like there's an impact kind of holistically that we all have to kind of recognize and honor and, and name. Yeah. And what wonderfully said, I think what I've noticed during this time is prior to COVID, many of us, us and me included was running really fast. Like there depended upon if you're a parent and if, if what type of work demands you may or may not be experiencing the pace of life just felt like it was quickening. And I think what COVID did for me was have this forced rest period of, even though we were coaching people to say, okay, you got to get off the hamster wheel because you're missing it. You're running too fast on automatic behavior programming. Like, do you really know who you are? And is that how you want to model the way for your children, for your spouse, for yourself. My observation in my relationships and friends and other peers around me is that with that forced rest, it surfaced a lot of unrest, unrest within self. So when we like, when we're at odds, we're not accepting, we don't really know who we are and what we want and we, we kind of struggle to find right relationship to that. And that's really tough to ask for those needs in relationship with other, whether it's your children or your spouse. And I think this is surfacing a lot of those disconnects. You know, in my marriage in particular, my husband, we are polar opposites in so many ways. We parent differently. We see life differently. We have a common vision and common values but how we go about managing the day-to-day is so different. 
And I found that, and I am still working through it, that, you know, the comparison of my way may be better, or how do I ask for my help, or how do I honor his needs and step into the role that I play in my family, which is quarterback, it's the planner, it's the decision maker, it's the nurturer. I'm I'm playing all these roles. And how do I do that with loving acceptance and stepping into that for myself and not resentment and finding that that way so that you're modeling this peaceful household, this peaceful humaning. I love it. With the ups and downs, it's just the, the nature of life. And so I find that when I observe the relationships that are crumbling or shifting, there's almost a mindset the grass is greener on the other side, right? And the stick with itness or the opportunity to know self kind of gets is getting hijacked. And we have just, I'm curious about your observation with your clients of the depth of inquiry, the depth of self-knowing, that commitment to love thyself and be in love with myself so that I can choose what relationships really nourish and help me flourish. So there's a lot there, but it's personal, right? Like as we as parents, we're going through this time of self-identification and evolution of who are we now in this world that is just ever changing. So beautifully said, and I, I think there's a lot there. And as you probably would say, a lot to unpack. And I'll just say that I think to start when I think about modeling, which is something I talk to parents all the time about, listen, how you handle your anxiety, how you move through your anxiety, your children are watching you. They're, they're watching you like hawks. And so the more we as adults, quote unquote, are able to model for our young people, what it means to, when we are anxious, how do we put words to that? How do we show them the process of beginning to end such that it gives them a sense of, oh, mom and dad, they're anxious. Okay. And then when they're anxious, this is how it kind of plays out. These are the ways that they might be learning how to soothe. These are ways they might be learning how to kind of just manage it, name it, recognize it's kind of maybe running the show a little bit, but have the compassion and the curiosity to say, this is what's at play and allowing for them to see the messy and not for us to try to hide that, but also it's our job to manage it. So I'm not telling parents, this isn't your responsibility. I am saying you want to be accountable for yourself. You want to be accountable for your emotions, which so many young people don't know how to process emotion. And that often comes from family, right? It comes from our conditioning. There are so many who grow up in very loving families I think we all would, well, not all, but many of us would say we grew up in very loving families, but our parents lived unconsciously. They were doing the best they could. There were a lot of needs that went unmet, right? And yet we were trying to figure that out as a young person. You just don't have words to put to it. You don't have coping mechanisms to know how to kind of process that in a healthy way. And often those follow us into adulthood. Right. So I just heard recently, Dr. Shafali said something about we're all children masquerading as adults in this life. And I thought, how interesting. Emotionally speaking, we're all children and we all are trying to get our needs met. And in a marriage or in a partnership, you're going to find that to be very complicated because both people are trying to figure that out. And as I've come to kind of Craig and I have done a lot of this, of this sense of healing from our upbringings, yet good upbringings, but definite holes and figuring out how do you honor that in your partner, not feel like you have to fix that, do anything for them. You honor their process while also trying to stay connected, you know, and getting the help you need, wherever that is, people come to me often just saying, I don't even know where to start. And so it's really getting your story out there. It's getting people to kind of unpack all of this and say, let's kind of start from the beginning. Let's start from where you're coming because that dictates so much of our actions, our behaviors, our choices, everything in this life. And so the more I think we are self-reflective, the more I think we grow in self-awareness, I think the more emotionally intelligent we are. 
And I think that's the missing ingredient in this world. And especially in the corporate world, I think that, you know, people are super capable and able to bring a product and to have the skill set needed to, to do something. But there is, I think, a deficit, a very big deficit in terms of what you, you two address for people. And that is, let's kind of bring the whole, the holistic picture in here in terms of relationship, not just with others, but with ourselves, because it's very easy to talk about loving yourself. But most people are like, what does that mean? I don't even know how to do that. So it's starting very small and it's starting kind of at the beginning, if that makes sense. I love, there's, there's so many things there to underline. And one, one point I want to grab onto and underline and then, and then throw back to the two of you. I love that you, that you said that, that people come to you and say, I don't, I don't even know where to start. And Jen and I talk about this a lot about the self-awareness, humility, conscious, you know, evidence of consciousness that that requires. And, And often the descriptor for us of a great client is someone able and willing to say, I don't even know where to start because it means you've moved past the kind of easy solutions and like, why don't I try this? Or I need to work out more. Maybe it's my diet or like I need, and that you're not looking for just the kind of vending machine. Well, the prescriptive. Right. And that leads us back to where you started, which is something we talk about a lot. The, the lesson about control and we use this analogy all the time. For those of you who've listened to the podcast, we use it on the podcast all the time about being a raft or a, a paddleboard or a canoe on the river. And we have a paddle and we can make some choices, but we don't control where the river's current takes us, how strong it is, how slow it is. So my question and, or my own inquiry has been around not not just my marriage and my kids, but I think my own relationship with that. I, I feel like COVID accelerated a lot of things for me that I already knew. It was like the power washer on the driveway. <laughs> it like instantly cleaned a bunch of things and, and exposed some things I didn't want to see. And I felt... <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I felt really... I think I deepened my awareness about we can't control, you know, I lost both of my parents early. I had kind of already had that awareness of, but what I didn't see until COVID is, you know, me realizing that I can't control things is different than me wanting to control if everybody else understands that lesson too. And I noticed I'd get really frustrated with my family about their own stress and their own anxiety. And I wanted to control how much they understood that they couldn't control things. And like there was, I hope this isn't too meta, but really needing to release. And, and in a family of six, you get every viewpoint, right? That we have a couple people who are right. You like masks are the most important thing and we need to wear them at bed, you know, to the vaccine is stupid and the government's trying to destroy it with it. Like we have every viewpoint and to not try to architect you know, to not need to architect unanimity there. And that was a huge growth area for me. And I'm still struggling with it. Like when is parenting just about like telling everyone to be quiet, but that's to your (laughs) point, like that's what I learned growing up is that there wasn't actually alignment, which Jen and I talk about with like true, true agreement that comes from, from listening and taking steps towards each other. I think my family growing up, there was harmony that came from like imposed silence, right? And I think COVID really exposed for me, well, that's that's not harmony at all. Like that's just being quiet. That's just a silent house. So I thought I had a question in here, Marta or Jen, and I don't know if I am. I just think it's wonderful. Like, I actually think, so my, to kind of just pick that apart a little bit, I would say the agendas that we have, have really been kind of thrown to the wind. And the the beauty of that is recognizing our children are their own people. The more we allow for that and let go of what we think they need to be or think or do in order to be okay and to be safe and to be successful. And the more we say, hey, I'm here to support, I'm here to guide. I have some, you know, 
there's ground rules, right? Um, within a family, I always just say it's not like a free for all, but the free for all piece is letting go of the control that we believe as parents we're supposed to have or should have or need to have for everyone to be okay. And really, it's a myth. It's it's not real. And yet, we're struggling in our own beings to try to figure that out for ourselves. So imagine us trying to do that for others. It's like our kids are so much our teachers and I think they bring us to our knees and I think they trigger things in us that need work. So I always think parents come to me for their children and I'm like, guess what, my friends, we're going to turn the light back to you because so much of this starts with you. It's, it's so fascinating. So you know, I think that the more we recognize, and in psychology, there's a there's a term called the identified patient. And Jen, I'm sure gets this, right? You you are you're kind of pointing the finger at this person and being like, they're the problem. And we just need to fix the problem. I'm sure this can manifest in so many ways out in, in the workforce too, right? In the work world, where recognizing we're all part of the whole and we're all playing a role. And I think as parents, we probably are playing a much more significant role than we even recognize. Yeah, I love that. And even in your body language with people that are not um, watching us right now, you are pointing, right? That their fault, they're triggering me. And, you know, the cliche of that one finger is pointing away and three fingers are pointing back at yourself. And we can't have a trigger unless it's gonna unless it's a teaching moment. It just I was taught and trained that whatever is causing me unrest is not about the other person. They're the guide to help it surface so that I can see it. And I think part of the drama, and as you're relating to the, you know, the control of kids, is I see a lot of people creating codependency relationships with their kids and their spouses. That they have it's to be rampant. the same. It's across the board. Yeah, yeah, and it's gotten worse. It's gotten deep. It's gotten more more significant. And I think it comes from an innocent place. I don't think it's intended to cause harm, but it does cause harm. In that we are not like trusting ourselves enough to trust another to be who they are. Therefore, we have to control it, right? So the, the, the needs that are unmet deep within ourselves, and I love that analogy, Jeff, like we're power washing the driveway. Well, those, unneed, those needs that haven't been met yet get to be surfaced, and then we're trying to put a Band-Aid on it. We're trying to satiate it in a certain way, or we're trying to do wellness even to kind of help us fill that tank or or get that need met through another person. And I think to your beautiful point, we have we have to reverse the architecture there. Like we it comes from us to say as a child, that's all like the basis of inner child work is when you go back to your eight-year-old self and you reenact a certain situation, which I've led people through and done myself, it's deep work. And you're like, holy shit, I never even consciously realized that that need as a young girl was never met. And therefore, as a 49-year-old or 48-year-old, I'm, I'm escalating my time. <laughs> really only 48. We're um, all around the same vintage, yeah. I hope. I think so. You know, like all of a sudden, that unneed met is still trying to be satiated. And so- But I, people don't have awareness of that whatsoever, Jen. And as you say, it's a very powerful process to be led uh, through, I think to, to go back to that younger child, because we're all inner children. Like we all have this inner child within that's kind of running the show. And yet we're, we're adults. We look like we have it together and we really don't. And that scenario plays out all the time. I, I heard recently a, a quote that said, we're not really living a life. We're living patterns. We're living a pattern. And I thought, yeah. And pattern interrupters are what I'm constantly trying to help people do is, hey, lift your head, notice, look around, take a pause. Because if you want to grow in consciousness, if you want to grow in awareness, you've got to be able to stop and take a pause. Because otherwise, we're on automatic pilot. We just keep going because that's our brain being very efficient and keeping us safe. But really that higher brain never gets, you know, tapped into then. And we're, we, we're not able to kind of keep continuing that evolution 
and becoming because we're stuck in the primal brain of fear, unworthiness, not enoughness, right? That is at the core. I hear this. People initially don't have any idea that's what is at their core. But the more you dig and the more you kind of un, you know, unravel things, the more people realize, oh my God, I have felt unworthy my entire life. I'm like, welcome to the club. Like, hello, we're all walking humans feeling unworthy. How do we, how do we address that? How do we heal that? How do we engage with ourselves in the world from a place of worthiness and enoughness? That's the, I think that's the ticket. Yeah. And I love what you just spoke to about how do we bring more consciousness and in the way that we define one of the ways to heighten our consciousness is awareness of exactly what you just said. We kind of override, I think, the subtle, obvious cues that are telling us where we're on and where we're off or where that insecurity of feeling not enoughness is on full display. And it, for me, we talk about this a gazillion times in our work, in, in work and in, on the podcast is our bodies gives us such cues like where are we feeling heat? Where are we feeling like nervousness? Where are we feeling nauseousness? Where we have a headache? Where are we feeling low energy? Like whatever the cue is, I think we override it because sometimes we're just moving so fast that we, we, we don't give ourselves that time and space to say, wow, I'm really noticing something here in my body. And our bodies are such a great teacher for helping us create better awareness, better awareness creates higher consciousness. Once we have higher consciousness, we can then choose with greater intention how we're modeling the way for ourselves and others. And it's like this interesting cycle that perpetuates itself. So I think that goes to, it speaks to the lack of embodiment that we have that we're so in our heads and we're not in our hearts and aligning the two. And so we're just this walking, talking, doing machine. And I think when you, when you create that alignment, which is what you guys talk about and, and teach people to do so beautifully, I think that is, as I said, it's the missing ingredient, but how do people learn how to do this? Right? So I even just small little things, I'll say, I want you to do self check-ins three times today. In the morning, middle of the day, at night, I want you to just take a moment, close your eyes. Now, you would be shocked at how few people want to close their eyes. Most people are like, I'm not comfortable closing oh, my we eyes. We know. We know with okay. the guided so, meditations. Yeah. are like, no. It's like, not okay, right? <laughs> yeah. But there's, I think people think of meditation and mindfulness and that it's so out there and so removed that there's no way they can even begin and they just kind of poo-poo it. And I'm like, listen, you can do little things in your day-to-day that actually get you more embodied. And that's what we're going for because the more embodied you are, the more aware you are, the more aware you are, the better choices you make, the more you honor you. And so it's this interesting dance, right? But teaching people how to do that is core to, because we can talk about these ideas and they're all kind of ethereal ideas for many, the more we kind of bring it to, all right, how do we do this concretely, right? And do it in a way that we're humaning, we're living our lives, and we're going to take a two-minute self-check-in kind of thing. That's much more palatable for people. You know, you're getting to something that's, that's on it. If people go to look at your website, they'll see this line really prominently. And it, it's so in tune with an, an ethos of plenty. We say it a little bit differently, but I'm glad you're getting to it. And at plenty, we talk about the idea that you you have a life. You don't have a professional life and a personal life. And the more, in our view, the more we see people who try to have a fulfilling personal life that's different or that mitigates what they do during the week, the more there's just such pain, right, to just be, be blunt about it. And the classic example is like someone who hates numbers but is an accountant because it pays well. And then in, on the weekend, then they do what they really want. And th- I mean, we could, we could spend an hour just talking about that and the challenges and how we work through it. You identify something very similar, at least my interpretation of it. You talk about the either or life. Like I, I choose things here or I choose things there. And it's like, it can't both exist. 
And I think what you're getting to about mindfulness, just to step on a soapbox, it's driving me crazy right now. Mindfulness is like the latest, it's the latest fad. It's turned into an app. I can do it in two minutes. My phone will remind me. Like it's this thing, right? That we just like, and there's something great about that, I guess. But the mindfulness doesn't come from your iPhone. It doesn't come from Calm. It doesn't come from Sonos suggesting a playlist to you. It's actually something you can have all the time and that you don't choose, especially when you're in stressful situations. Like we're not choosing, I guess I can either be mindful or I can go to work or I guess I can tell my kids what they need to do or I can be supportive. And I, I just think there's a risk now, like as we're coming out of COVID, we, we feels like this comes up a lot in our current conversations, Jen, people who really have come out of it saying, I'm going to look at the world differently. And people who've come out of it saying, I'm so glad to get back to what it was. And for that group, it's wonderful to value the life that you had and did you just miss the alarm going off on a chance to look differently about what's all around you and not look at finding fulfillment or, or mitigating anxiety or, or reducing stress as a thing on the checklist that's meant to be accomplished, but as something inherently human that you deserve, that you've always had access to? Well, and I think you're speaking to, I think, in our work and in our in our lives, we really see this, but I think that we have such a grand invitation to reinvent ourselves right now, to relook, to refresh, to reinvigorate. And I feel like we see this in our in the companies that we work with and the, the people that we serve and have in our lives and that serve us. I feel like we have underrated our ability to experience the life that we wish to experience. And we've almost like table stakes. Oh, like this is kind of, you kind of accept what is. And I think that we have such a grand opportunity to really step forth and say, what is it do I want to create now? What would be fulfilling for me? What is my household? What's the vibration in it? You know, what's the quality of conversations I'm having in my lives? And guess who's at the center of all of that? We are as individuals. And I, it, it fires me up because I do see, Marta, in our work with companies, when you're speaking to EQ and IQ, we have so overvalued IQ, right? We just have, whether you want to call it whole system, culture, MBAs, Matt, you know, like college degrees, like, and I'm not poo-pooing them, but we have put so much value on that intelligence. And we all know it doesn't hold a candle to EQ. It just doesn't. Like we can't sense and see and feel and know with our minds solely. And so part of the opportunity for the companies that are really wanting to take a an evolutionary leap in their impact and performance is to integrate head and heart. It is to balance the EQ with the IQ and value it in their employees and cultivate it within their themselves. And it's, you know, there are practical ways to do that that are embodying, that are very doable. But for kids, it's like natural. I look at my daughter, her EQ is so high, it blows me away. And, you know, granted, like I have, I have two children and they're very different. And my son's EQ, I would say is lower, but his IQ is higher. And just watching her navigate complex situations, she does it with awareness and poise and she's 10. And it's like, okay, how can we teach that? How can we bring that forward? Because we all have that capability. You mean for your son or just for anyone who might Yeah, be- for my son, for our companies, like for people of elevating the value of EQ and then elevating how you grow that muscle, if you will. Yes, it's a muscle. And I think even in families, so if we're if we're talking from the fact that we can actually infect some change in families before people are out and about in the world, that would be putting words 
to the process because I see this all the time. It's it's like the ones that don't quite have that or aren't as adept with their EQ, they're capable of learning some of that skill set. They just have to be kind of, you know, cued, right? And taught. And I, as a mom, I'm constantly, and my kids will say, there are times where they're like, enough already. Like, but I'm constantly kind of walking through my process because I want them to kind of understand from where I'm coming. And if I'm, whatever I'm dealing with or whatever I'm kind of moving through on my own two feet, they're aware enough. They're not responsible for it. They can kind of just say that's yours to own, but I still feel like part of my role is showing them what that looks like and how to do that as gracefully as I possibly can. And when I fuck up, I call it out and I'm like, all right, live and learn on this. Let's go. Let's, how could I do that differently next time? And being vulnerable is something that I don't think we often do and show to our children. And I think vulnerability is key. I think young people think their parents have it kind of figured out and it's a complete, parents don't have it figured out, right? We pretend we do, but we really don't. So I think the more we kind of take the veil off of that while also showing them as adults with the coping mechanisms we do have access to, that we can do it in a way that manages it, regulates it from a healthier place. Yeah. And you're both speaking to, I think that what really drew me about that either or statement is, is Jen, your word of integration and that it's not about now is the time I relax. Now is the time I work. Now is the time I'm present. Now is the time I put my head down. It's like, what if it was all accessible to you? What if actually by working on your emotional skills, you got smarter too, right? What if it wasn't a trade-off? And I think there's so many things that are put in opposition. We joke all the time, Marta, that, you know, it's, we do a lot of team-based work. We have a retreat center in Park City. It's opening up again. It's wonderful. We're going to be welcoming groups there this summer. And it's like when we do this team-based work, there's always somebody. It's such a trope, but there's always someone who says, like, it's the cliche. It's like, get a new cliche. But there's always someone who says, like, I don't want to do the kumbaya stuff. And now we've learned like, oh, let's watch that person because that's the person who's going to have this major breakthrough, right? The person who's like, I don't really like, we don't need to get to know you thing is the person who has something massive to share to get off. Like the person who's like, I got to tell you, I'm not really one to share my feelings is the person on day two who's going to break down in tears. And it's like, I guess my point is everyone actually has. that you create that space (laughs) for them to do that, right? It's it's beautiful. The lack of EQ is just is more of a signal to me now that like you just have more grime on the driveway. So we like turn the power washer up a little bit, but it's not that you don't have the capacity to be that way. Like everyone has the capacity to be emotive and everyone has the capacity to be a little aware. But like I love the analogy of the muscle because a lot of people haven't been put in a situation where they have to exercise it. So things have kind of atrophied a little bit. Well, and what Marta just shared in your conversation, it is the space we create. So how can we create a safe space at home? How do we create a safe space in our work environments? And we work really intentionally to create the safest, most trusting, loving, open, calm, peaceful space so that the saboteurs and the cynics can find home. They can find home that it's okay to not hold on so tight or not posture in such a way or not act in the protective automatic patterning that may be in their DNA and training because their whole lives, the environments they've chosen or the environments they've been brought up in have said, here's the environment that's going to bring out this way of coping. And it's not, I love that point. Like it's not an either or, it's not a right or wrong. You know, I've joked many times, I'm Libra and so I'm always, and I'm double Libra, so sun rising and moon. And so my, my, one of my like gifts and opportunities to learn is where's the harmony between the polar opposites? Like where is the, and, and sometimes, you know, I'm in curiosity about whether balance is even possible 
Because for me, I've noticed like I really learn by testing out one side and then swinging to the other. And then as I come back, they're like moments of balance, right? But it's not like I'm living a balanced life. I don't, I think that's elusive. I think the balanced piece is kind of over. I, I don't think that's real. What I do think is real is just what you said. We often go to opposite extremes and then we kind of come fall somewhere in the middle. That's a healthy kind of tension that we hold. And as humans, I think that's, that's growth, right? And that's also that regulation, even emotionally regulation, right? So if you were on a spectrum of, for mental health of depression on one end, flourishing on the other, and then kind of in the middle would be more this languishing, because I think that that's the, as they say, that's kind of the emotion of 2021 for a lot of people. But part of that languishing, I also think has to do with people having to process emotion of grief and loss and sadness. And instead of going all the way to the end of the other spectrum of depression, how do they kind of, you know, move with that and learn how to hold space for that? while also not letting it completely yeah. overwhelm their system and kind of take them down. But I think it's an interesting, even just talking about the spectrum of anything. And as Jen said, like it's this, you're going from one extreme to another, and then you kind of land somewhere in the middle. And I think that's how we are as humans, you know, I think that's how Yeah. We you know, in that, I love my water analogy. So I'll try one more here. I, the, the balance, the scales that, that doesn't resonate with me as much as, you know, if you've ever been on a sailboat, you can't go in a straight, you can't, if you want to go north, you know, you have to tack, you go northeast, then you go northwest, and you go back and forth. But the process of doing that gets you where you want to go. And so I think it's, it's not even, I think it's, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to be like, you know, I go, I'm on this side, and then I'm on that side. But that process of doing that is what propels you forward. And the, the other point I want to make, and then Jen, you were making a beautiful point to tie it back to the work that you do, Marta. And I think the work that we do as well, you know, that safe place, that creating a safe place to be emotive, to share, to talk about your story and your experience. What I heard you saying, I just want to put a bow on is that starts with having a home in yourself allowing yourself a safe place to be in your own mind, <laughs> a safe place to say things like, well, what if I wasn't so worried all the time? Or does this stress actually serve me? Or why do I get so anxious about future thoughts? Or why do I play these scenarios at all? You know, allowing a little bit of space in your own mind before you look at the phone or before you hit the meditation app, even because you think you have to, or before you go work out for three Peloton classes in a row, or before you binge watch something like allowing yourself a home for your own thinking, that's where it all starts. That's totally where it all starts is allowing yourself in your own inner dialogue to listen to what you're saying to yourself and try saying different things. <laughs> And, and try to sit into something that's that's better for you. Right. I do think, though, Jeff, there are a lot of people who are afraid of being with their thoughts and being alone with them. And so to have the two of you Absolutely. guide people in that process is a tremendous gift because mm. you create that, that space for them to unpack and to be vulnerable um, and mm. to go to a space that they've probably never really been. Mm. And that's, that's a, that's a journey. I think the other, and we, gosh, this would bring up a whole nother, we'd probably go on another tangent on this, but our thoughts are not who we are. And I mm -hmm. think people often equate that th what they're thinking is what is yeah. who they are. And I always say, you know, get a little bit of a step back here, get, create just enough space to recognize your thoughts are just thoughts. They're not mm -hmm. who you are at your core. Right. And so but recognizing too that the mind is malleable. The mind is something we can we can manage and we can create thoughts and nourishing thoughts and life-giving thoughts and those that help us rise and show up and engage. And and Jen, you were hitting on this too. Like I just think all of this is so interrelated. But I think the more 
people like yourselves create that space for people to actually do this work, that's what it's about. And that's what I do in my coaching work all the time. You know, it's just, it's kind of like trying to help people know, Hey, I see you. I got you. I got your back. Anything and everything is, is fair game. Like don't think for a second that it's going to change your value, your worthiness. If anything, it just creates more of that intimacy of like, okay, all right, we're getting somewhere. Let's keep going. Let's keep excavating. Cause that's, I think where our greatest work is. It is. And I love, I love the point, you know, space is so significant and I think we undervalue it and it's a practice. And so the, I, our hope, my hope is that whoever's listening, including ourselves can continue to practice cultivating more space in our day, in our lives and within our minds, because definitely when Jeff was saying, be at home of our thinking, like like what you just shared my first thought is we're not our thinking so being very skeptical of buying buying our thoughts like reducing how much we're buying our thinking because it's just not who we are and they come and go so whatever we attach a thought that we attach to unworthiness, not good enough. I haven't accomplished enough today. I'm so behind. I've got to do whatever the narrative is that we literally then like out of 75,000 plus thoughts we have in a day, we latch onto that one. We swallow it. We digest it. We embody it. And then it's the vibration that we put out and guess what we attract more of that. And so the, the trying to find that space and playing with where does space come from between the thinking i think one of the 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 practices that's really been helpful for me is observing the observer mind so as if i'm my own best friend looking outside of myself and i get to to really witness observation without attaching to it oh i notice that right now I'm feeling like I haven't done shit today. I'm feeling like, man, my jeans are tight and this is bumming me out, you know? Or in yoga this morning, I was like, man, some of these poses are so hard. Why the hell can't I do this? You know, reverse, whatever. And being gentle without then saying that is who I am, I feel like it... it it's a, it's a dance, right. Of trying on those clothes and just trying with curiosity to just say, well, what if I'm not that, but I'm having that thought at this moment. And one more, one more point, Jeff, to your attacking analogy. Like I think when we're trying to find center, I love the, the, you know, the metaphor of the sailboat for me in yoga this morning, it was literally the transition of the pose. It was going from a place of steadiness to the wobble. And how could I bring a graceful flowing transition to the to both of those? And the stability, right? And the stability and then the, un, and the wobbliness, the instability. And in between that is transition, in between that. And I definitely noticed when I wasn't thinking consciously with an intention of making those transitions graceful, I was quick, I was fast, I was abrupt, and I lost my balance. Then I brought mindful intention to it and said, okay, how slow could I transition from this to that? And it made a huge difference. And I think it's this metaphors that we're playing with of where do you find that sense of self? Where do you find that place of home for you in the stability and the instability of what is life? Yeah, and I think that's what I was, I appreciate both of you clarifying, you know, we're definitely not our thinking. I think what, I, what I'm trying to get at is, maybe let me try it this way. I think something for people to play with is, can you really find center? I think we are center and we don't need to look for it. Like if you stop looking, if you've ever had the experience of like, I can't find my glasses. Where the hell, where the hell are my glasses? Where are my glasses? You look around. I don't know where they are. Kids, where are my glasses? And someone says they're on your head, right? Like 
we, we don't have to find balance. We can be it. Like in the looking, that's kind of what I meant about being at home with yourself. Like not reaching for that glass of wine because you need to calm down. Not like I'm waiting in line and edgy. I'm going to check my phone. Like two, two changes I made that have been really profound for me are not drinking anymore and deleting most of social from my phone. It's incredible. I mean, just we could do a whole 10 podcasts on this, but those two things were the, the ways that I was escaping from just being here. And, and so I don't mean like attaching onto every thought and like, I'm anxious, but, but being able to see why do I feel like I need a glass of wine now? Why do I feel like I need to check to see what everybody else is doing? And then when I scroll through it, then I'm really annoyed or then I like just allowing yourself time to find your glasses. Like your natural state is to be centered and balanced. What's unnatural is to judge all of it, right? And to judge like today I'm in a bad mood. Tomorrow I'm in a great mood. Maybe something's wrong that I'm in a great mood because I was in like that narrative is exactly what I'm talking about. Allowing ourselves to just be at home without labeling it. So I know I just opened up a whole new can of worms when with alcohol, social media. Well, I love it. Yeah. We, could, we could keep going and going and going. I love it all. Yeah, I think absolutely. I um, I think the the thoughts and recognition that feelings are what we are always going for. Either we're going towards a feeling or away from a feeling, right? It drives everything. And so when you grab that glass of wine or you, you think, oh, you equate that to, I can relax, I can let down, I can kind of let go. That's something we actually can do without it, right? But we, we, we don't know that. We become so habitual, habitual in our, you know, what we, what we seek for the, the need for kind of relaxation or just coming down. And I know for me, because I'm so intense, that it is, it's a, an art to learn how to do that and to be able to soften the edges, right? Softness is such a nourishment. The word softness, the word nourishment, I remember it wasn't even in my vocabulary before. And now it's like, that's what I try to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, is because you, the more we do that for ourselves, the more we do that for other people. Yeah, I love that. I think for, for me, and it was really on my mind this morning in class, was peaceful presence. And it's that softness. Like, how do I, I love the rounding, softening of the edges of when you have such a full plate, the common offering can be peace. It could be gentleness. It could be acceptance or caring or what is that word for you that becomes that anchor of who you are that center Jeff as you just spoke to that you can bring wherever you show up because you're that you're the center common denominator of it all um it's been such a delight Marta I'm sure we're gonna have to have you back on and would love to meet you in person for sure and share more time. It's wonderful to hear about the important work that you're doing. And I love your approach. I love it sounds like, you know, we have such a shared background of training. And I love where you're pointing us and your clients to. Where can people find you if they're interested in working with you and learning more? Well, so I have a website, martabrummel.com. So it's M-A-R-T-A-B-R-U-M-M-E-L-L. So two M's, two L's. And I am also going to be doing an online offering a, a program this summer starting debuting in July, How to Human 101. So that's something that people can access at a very good price point as well. My one-to-one coaching is is definitely more expensive, but it's much more hands-on and high touch. And then Instagram, I'm Marta Brummel on Instagram. So, um, but I'm not a highly social person. So I just do what <laughs> I can do to kind of keep a presence and uh, people know where to find me, but that's about, that's about it. So and we'll, we'll add all of those links and we'll repeat those in the outro for people. I also want to give a quick plug to, plug to Truth Be Told, which is your podcast 
which is fun. And Craig it has is made a fun, an It's a labor of love. I think you guys can relate. <laughs> it's a labor of love. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. a learning, right? It's just such an interesting learning. Yeah. Thank you both, because I also just feel like there's such a, a goodness. And just the two of you are loves. Like, I just think you're, people are in good hands with you. So, um, and may we have more people like you out there, but keep on being you very, very well. So thank you so much. Thank Lovely you. Both. Thank you, Marta. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.